data teams and the modern data stack have attracted large sums of investment over the past few years. Everyone has taken for granted that data teams are valuable and that they deserve a multi-layered stack of best-of-breed software. I've been wondering, with the significant changes in the macro environment this year, will data teams and their software companies soon be required to justify their ROI more concretely? Che Sharma, the founder and CEO at Epo, was the perfect person to discuss this question with. As an early data scientist at Airbnb and later at Webflow, Che was knee-deep in proving the value of data teams to the rest of the business. More recently, he founded an experimentation platform to help data and product teams figure out how to impact business metrics, thereby building a category within the modern data stack that is arguably much closer to revenue than other categories. In this conversation, we discussed, should data teams align themselves with revenue or with cost reduction? If you led a data team and you were making your case to your CFO that your budget shouldn't be cut, what would you say? And how can data teams prove their value in companies that don't quite get it yet? You can listen to the podcast or else read the lightly edited transcript of the conversation. Let's dive in. Che, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk about the ROI of data teams and how we can prove it out, especially in this macro environment. So thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Allison. Topic near and dear to my heart here. So, you know, as you probably uh, mentioned in the show notes here, I'm an early data scientist at Airbnb and then Webflow and kind of both have their kind of interesting relationships with data teams and ROI. So I'm excited to dig into it. Awesome. To start off, can you tell us a little bit more about background and what you're doing today? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the CEO of Epo, founder and CEO. We're a next-gen AV experimentation platform. You know, a lot of this comes out of you know, my feeling that the best way for data teams to have ROI is to heavily invest in experimentation and kind of plug that throughout the org. But before I was at Epo, I was, you know, as I mentioned, the fourth data scientist at Airbnb, so quite early. Saw a lot of that growth journey play out, worked across the stack from machine learning for a couple of years, analytics for a couple of years, data tools for a couple more. Saw the data team progress as we went from mostly focusing on reporting and supply growth in those sort of topics to kind of being part of every major pillar of the company from like growth in China to business travel and kind of uh, marketing and everything. Uh, after Airbnb, I consulted for a bunch of companies from kind of wide array of domains. And then uh, most recently I was at uh, Webflow, which is a kind of no code website builder SaaS tool where again, got to see the, the data tool ROI journey. So a lot more to dig into in each of those, but I'll pause there. Well, you're the perfect person to speak to the subject. Often when people think about ROI, they think about one of two levers, maybe both, revenue and cost reduction. Mm -hmm. Do you think data teams should associate themselves with either of those? And if so, why? Yeah, I think data teams need to associate themselves with the goals of the company at the time. Like if you look at Airbnb from 2012, 2017, it wasn't necessarily a revenue-oriented place, but it was extremely focused on growth, on pursuing the land grab of like, Airbnb understood that there were incredible network effects of an international travel platform. And so the most important thing was to become the de facto standard, not just in America, but in Europe, in Asia, you know, Australia, everywhere. So I I wrote a blog post about this, but like if you focus a lot on revenue, then actually will distort the initiatives you pursue. Uh, In this case, Airbnb might have made us invest a lot more in America and Western Europe, which, you know, is wealthier and away from other parts of the globe and kind of, you know, take away from the land grab thing. So I, I think in general, it's good to just focus on the company's priorities. At Webflow, the priority was ARR, you know, so it was much closer to revenue. So 
whatever it is, like, and I, I think this is actually what leadership exists to do is to outline those priorities so that teams can orient themselves around it. So do you think this literally might mean the data team saying, okay, there are these five OKRs for the company this quarter, you know, we are contributing to some of or more of those in these particular ways? Yeah, 100%. And do you think that data teams should measure themselves numerically based on some kind of impact on those numbers? I don't really think so because data teams don't actually do things. Like, it's funny to say that, but they, they don't actually build anything. You're not part of, like, the actual product building process is understand, design, build, and measure. And we're really involved in understanding and measuring, but not in design and building. And even on the marketing side or elsewhere, we're about guiding hygienic decision-making. So in that regard, if you are not the one necessarily making the decision, how do you kind of pin the dollar tag on yourselves? But I think what you need to do is have really tangible demonstrations of how you are improving decision-making. And that, you know, it's hard to put a number on it, but what you can do is kind of list out all the places in which you guided a decision in a way that like no one can dispute the data had a really big role here. Oh, interesting. So I'm trying to think through exactly what that might look like. Is that saying something like before the data team got involved, this business team was on track to make this particular decision, which would have resulted in XYZ impact on our OKRs, but then we got involved and actually now there's ABC impact on our OKRs. Yep, that's exactly it. And, you know, tangibly, the concretely with the way this turns out is less of a like sharp before after and much more of a like, here's a scope of type of decisions that are happening unguided by data that are now going to be guided by data. And we can understand that level of decision making in aggregate. So I'm a CEO of an experimentation company. That's a classic case where like, here's a bunch of decisions of would you launch this thing or would you not launch this thing? Or would you consider pursuing resourcing this some more or not. And when you do experimentation and you actually say, well, let's see what the metrics say about it. And, you know, metrics are obviously very much in the data domain. That's a tangible demonstration of how like the data team affected a decision. Did you launch this or did you not launch this? And there are kind of instances of that in other parts of the org, you know, whether it's customer service, would you route this ticket to this person or route this ticket to that person? Or in marketing, like, would you spend more on this campaign or that campaign? So these are all like a bunch of decisions that are happening all over the place. And as you plug data into those places, then those are to me tangible demonstrations of guiding decision making. I'd imagine there would be some people out there who would say, look, it's really hard in most instances to really prove that the data team had an impact on decision making in a way that impacted company OKR. So this person might say, instead, we should think about data teams as essential infrastructure mm -hmm. that just has to exist and should be funded regardless of circumstances. What would you say to that? I actually don't disagree with it too much. Like, I, I think there is a certain amount of data that is essential infrastructure. The place where I would counsel a little bit of temperament of that is that just because you have numbers doesn't mean you change the decision. And oftentimes data teams, especially early on in their journey before companies fully embrace data as a you know core constituent, that data person is making sure that the decisions are actually changing. And, you know, our common friend, Elena, and I talk about this, that like when you're hiring early data scientists, a really important trait that makes a big difference is just communication ability. Can you take these results and make them compelling so that people change their decisions? And for folks who don't know, Elena formerly led the data science team at Airbnb. And as Jay mentioned, a friend of both of ours and yeah. awesome leader. 
So, you know, I'm thinking more about the different ways in which you could conceive of the impact of data teams and how you should budget for them, which obviously in this macro context is potentially controversial, but in like very important thing to think through. Where would you say the consensus is today about how you should budget for data teams where, you know, maybe on the, on the one end of the spectrum, it should be higher data folks, regardless of circumstance, there should be like a fixed budget, maybe as a percent of revenue. And then maybe on the other end of the spectrum, it's need to prove out the impact on certain financial metrics. Where are people's opinions lying? I think right now there is not that much idea of like plugging in data teams as uh, direct drivers of revenue. I think that the nature of the way the data landscape has progressed is that the tools like Snowflake and DBT have made it so that you can spin up reporting really, really easily. And so I think as a result, you're seeing that all across the globe, there are reporting teams. They're called data teams, but they're mostly doing core reporting that's going to guide a board deck and it will guide decision making. But oftentimes it's really just a like, it's so macro that like what decisions exactly are you going to change as a result of it? If revenue slightly dips, like what decisions do you change there, right? You have to actually unpack it and do all these things. And there's a little bit of slice slicing you get there, but it's less plugged into the point of decision making than say an experiment or a marketing campaign or anything like that. So I think that's the state of the world today. But I think with the recession, I mean, you know, likely a recession like happening that things could change fairly readily where, you know, a lot of teams have kind of made a lot of investments in purchasing all these data tools, hiring these teams. And, you know, there was a clearly justifiable essential infra reporting standpoint, but everything after that was a little bit more speculative. It was more of like PMs need numbers. So let's give them a data person so that PMs have numbers sort of thing. And so how I see that evolving instead is to say that like, you know, what's going to happen tangibly is that a CFO is going to look at headcount requests and then it's going to say, tell me how money comes out the other end. And data teams need to provide the answer very concretely. So, you know, the ways you can do that are I've seen data teams early on when they need to win political capital, just have things that have short term revenue wins. So this will be like you're spending marketing dollars all over the place. Like, is there some way you can establish attribution models or just something that says like how much revenue or what is your payback period? What is the CAC for each one? It's just get a little bit tighter there. That always reveals some channel that's bad. Whenever you do that process, especially early on, there's always low hanging fruit. And it's like, here's an example where we're spending 500K and we don't have to. And, you know, that is tangible revenue improvement. It pays off, you know, a small data team's salary. Feels good. That's a decent enough place to get started. The thing that I can, like, I would say the casualty of recession style thinking of like being very short-term focused is that some of the most powerful things coming out of a data team is when you actually reveal an entire strategic direction that could be pursued, right? And that's the thing that like in the boom times, you get more leeway to pursue them. But in the lean times, like you have to make sure that's just part of a portfolio of like much more direct revenue drivers. Yeah, all of that makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking about more broadly how data teams can advocate to their CFO, you know, who particularly in later stage companies often like person facilitating the making of cuts. To, you know, advocate for retaining budget in this type of economic environment. And one of the the sort of inputs into this conversation that I imagine occurring a fair bit is coming from go-to-market leaders. And, you know, sometimes I hear rumblings in the SaaS world from go-to-market leaders that the modern data stack is really just like tools for data people who all have kind of a love fest with each other and yeah, are uh-huh. very excited about their own profession and their own, like all these software products that are being built. But 
the go-to-market leaders in some of these instances feel that they haven't really benefited from the modern data stack. So you could imagine, you know, data leader and a sales leader being in a room with the CFO, each advocating for their own software headcount budget. I wonder how that conversation will go, whether you think that go-to-market leaders are like mistaken or... The funny thing is, I'm not even necessarily sure they are mistaken. Like I would say that the thing that I would say has happened, again, with a past set of years that have been boom time economically and also boom time in terms of innovation and data tool landscape is that suddenly like people have kind of brought on a bunch of like data observability tools or a bunch of kind of next gen BI tools or, you know, a data catalog or something, you know, these you kind of like brought on a lot of this stuff because the data team liked it and, you know, had a lot of discretionary spending. Um, but I think that conversation is you know, very much what's about to happen. And th- what I would say is that, and this is again, why I was so excited to start an experimentation company is like the actual thing, all of these data tools add up to is better decision-making, right? And so you start off and you say like, suppose you snap your finger and you had a pristine data warehouse that was always up to date that could plug into everything. Like, you know, suppose you just took a Snowflake DBT, hex, high touch, whatever, just had the whole package and you snapped your fingers, you had it free and all worked what would happen next? You have to have that theory of change in your mind. And so, you know, you as a data team need to say, like, we think the theory of change is that we are going to affect a bunch of product launch decisions, right? And that's the experimentation play. If you're a PLG company who most of your growth is being powered by product changes, like that's a very good theory. Another way you can think about it is to say, like, we are going to have model all these great ways of personalizing users that's going to dramatically improve the ROI of ad spend. And so we're going to kind of come up with user segments and then plug them into tools with a high touch or something. And like our theory of change is that we are going to completely change the way marketing teams deploy things. And what I think has to happen is that you have to start with that point, even with your imperfect warehouse that doesn't have all the underlying foundational pieces, just to see, get buy-in from those decision makers. Once you prove you are affecting decision-making and they like that, then they're going to be like, oh, now I want my data pipelines to reliably work. And I want, you know, the whole system to be good. And that's when, you know, these other underlying investments make sense. Because then it's like, okay, we all like this relationship of hyper-personalized ad spend or, you know, experiment on product. And, but it's still too flaky. It, it has the SLAs aren't tight. We're understaffed or whatever. That's when you can have nice conversations about the ROI of kind of more foundational data pieces. You know, I'm wondering how you think these budgeting conversations will unfold from the perspective of where in the P&L data team should count it. Or you could make the argument that data teams should be a part of the G&A budget. But then again, you know, maybe if you're trying to prove an impact on the business, you should be allocated to the various functional cost categories. What's your take? I think the way this should work is that a data team can kind of start off by doing some sort of cost sharing. So this is what we've seen a lot is to just say that like, you know, a tool like Epos with the most common setup we've seen is that half the budget comes from the product team, half the budget comes from the data team. That sort of thing makes a lot of sense to me is to say like, you know, if we're starting off by the idea that we're going to guide decision-making in this area, then like to be literally bought into the process, you need to have those decision-makers want to invest in data. So I, I think that's kind of the, the, a good way to start is to just have some sort of cost-sharing thing of saying like, you know, there's some base of uh, reporting for the amount of money you'd spend just stand up a standard reporting thing for the board that is perhaps more GNA. But all the other pieces where you're going to affect decision making and you're going to justify having more than a three person data team, you're going to have a 15 person data team should have a lot more cost sharing. Che, I know there are some companies where the data teams are 
revered internally. Airbnb, where you used to work, is one of these companies. They're considered to be a core part of the broader organization. It's much easier to justify headcount and spend there. It's, it's just a default assumption that they are adding a ton of value. But if you're, you know, a data team leader or on a data team at a tiny startup where there are maybe only a few data people, it might be a lot harder at that point to sort of prove, you know, why do you need that additional headcount or why do you need that additional spend? What would your advice be for founders and data leaders at earlier stage companies on like how to get to where Airbnb is? Yeah. And I think it's a great question because, you know, I was the fourth data scientist at Airbnb. And so when I joined, we did not have that personal brand internally, right? We did not have this default assumption that we should be hiring data scientists everywhere and pursuing opportunities that were not just short-term revenue, but also long-term strategic. You know, the advice I give is that you have to treat it like a kind of like a ladder, right? You step-by-step, what do you do to reach up to that data team nirvana where you're, you know, held in high esteem is a crucial part of every decision. I think the starting point is, and this is kind of why your initial data hires and having someone strategic there is really important, is like, what is the easiest path to showing wins, like tangible wins that are going to lead to further investment? So those are places where, you know, you have sufficient data volume to do something meaningful. That's one basic thing is that in the world of data, sample size is forever a thing. And so where do you have good data volume? Two is like, based upon your previous experience doing this type of work, where do you see like a few months in of investment will lead to tangibly improved decision-making or ROI? So that could be something like improving your marketing campaigns. It could be something like taking the customer service operation and making them more efficient. It's kind of a function of your own business. But what I would do is like pick one or two areas that are going to show value quickly and staff them up and show value. And then from there, you get to build up bit by bit. And once the data team has a brand of like, you know, everything it touches, it is transforming and and driving a lot of value. That helps you get the political capital to pursue things that are a little bit more perspective. Something like we're going to spend a couple weeks of research to figure out some underlying deep question of the business. You know, Airbnb, for instance, after showing a whole bunch of successful experiments improving search ranking, because at the time search ranking was like literally a handmade score, like literally it was just a column in the database with a number in it and we ranked by that number. And then kind of moving to something more machine learning-y and then something that had a little bit more nuance to it that kept improving revenue, kept improving revenue. And then we got the leeway to spend a month and investigate seasonal pricing which we kind of always knew was going to be a big deal. Like you look at the rest of the travel industry, they do seasonal pricing. And if you look at our price filters, like people obviously use them differently across seasons. That was like a lot of months of work to make that case and then ultimately justify a dynamic pricing model. I can't imagine going to the CFO's office and saying like, we want to get two of our most senior data people and give them like three to six months to go work on a project that may or may not work. You get there by first knocking out a bunch of singles and doubles. So it's a journey. Thinking about the early stages of proving out the brand of your data team, value of your data team, what are some examples of early wins that ultimately the best data teams generated when they were early stage? Most recently when I was at Webflow, and I think Webflow is a great analogy here because it's a SaaS business. It was three data scientists at the time. The whole company was operating as if every user was basically the same, like one homogenous pool. But all the kind of early employees kind of knew there was this central divide of people who are website builders for others, kind of like contract website builders, and people who are going to build a website themselves, like a business owner who's just kind of building a website themselves. And 
one of the earliest wins we had as a data team was to just model that out. You know, just use the various artifacts, our segmentation survey, and just say, like, here are the people who are habitually building websites for others, and here are the ones who are building it for themselves. And once we kind of did that segmentation, it started having dramatic ramifications for how we spent marketing dollars and how we prioritize products, where we saw that, like, if you spend a lot of marketing dollars on, like, yeoman CEO who has never built a website before to go and learn Webflow is probably not going to go very far. Whereas if you spend marketing dollars on getting like a website builder who's going to make like 500,000 websites, whatever, it's going to mean a lot more. And, you know, we plugged the same thing into our experiments and saw that basically these non-technical CEO types really wanted the Webflow to look like Squarespace, but to be very easy, but limited. Whereas the website builders wanted it to look like Photoshop, very powerful and complex. And so that was something where there was immediate tangible benefit of dollars on go to market, but then also a bunch of strategic kind of ramifications in terms of like, who are we building for? Like as a product, who do you want to serve? So that was a very early one. And the other ones that we did was like our affiliate program. There was just literally a bug in how it was set up that was, you know, wasting 500K a year. And so like little things like that here and there. And then at Airbnb, you know, when, when I first joined, name of the game was a land grab growth strategy. And so, so much of things was around, like, if you look at all the different metros, whether it's like Bangkok, Thailand, or Paris, France, what do we consider to be in a healthy balance of supply and demand? And like, where should we be spending dollars on boosting supply in those places? And just kind of supplying all these boots on the ground with the idea and like guiding the resourcing was like, you know, a very early way to demonstrate value. And then the other one I had mentioned before was search ranking where the search ranking model, like you wouldn't even call it a model. People just put numbers on listings and just order that, that way. And if it didn't feel right, they just kind of massage the numbers. So replacing that with an actual machine learning model that did things like penalize hosts who never respond and who always reject people and boost people who often accept people, that was like immediate revenue gains. So these are the sort of things that with every new person coming in who started repeatedly generating value, you could tackle more and more types of problems. It's amazing how many times I'm talking with a founder and they're looking for advice on some operational topic. And my my first tip is get a data person to actually look into what's going on. Right. It's I mean, you know, it's very difficult to like form a churn playbook or create a certain type of go to market strategy if you don't actually understand what's happening. And I, I can imagine seeing many founders hiring data people earlier and earlier, you know, in their startup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things about Airbnb is that even though the founders are designers and they're not really data people, they did hire Riley as a first-hand employee. There was enough kind of investors in the year to make an investment there that, you know, they went and did it. But, you know, the trap I see all the time is that, like, when the people start a data team, they kind of do it with a dip their toe in the water fashion of just, like, let's just bring on a data scientist and set up Snowflake and do core reporting. And they'll hire someone a little bit junior you know, or maybe mid-career or something, someone who like knows SQL, you know, worked at a couple places. But when you're first deciding on how to invest and start this flywheel, you need someone who can think a little bit more strategically because the core decision is like, where are you going to go to not your first wins? Yeah. And how to go the ladder up to the other ones. And to, to be able to make that judgment, you need to know, like, I understand that this business is a marketplace whose goal is margin improvement or something. And I know from my various experiences that companies with that problem had invested in these places. And when they did, that it ran into these limitations or whatever. Like, you, you know, you have to be able to see a few steps ahead to be able to say like, you know, the best investment we can make right now 
is on marketing ops or something. That's the failure mode I see a lot is that like, there's the very obvious thing, which is build core metrics for the board decks. And then everything after that is really not obvious. Yes. My last question for you, Jay, you know, you started, as you've noted, an experimentation company, Epo, which almost by definition is intended to help data teams prove their impact on priorities since, you know, the nature of experimentation is that there's some output variable that you're like trying to impact and you, you know, see different mechanisms, how you can best impact it. I'm sure we could have a whole conversation about best practices for experimentation. But if if you had one tip to leave people with today, what would that be? Besides buying Epo, uh, what I would say is the, the, the reason why experimentation has a great effect is it takes the metrics that underlie the business, the stuff the board cares about, and it plugs it into all of these product investments you're making. And product investment tends to be like the largest bucket, right? Think of all the salaries of engineers, designers, PMs, et cetera. And so the thing I think you have to get right is that think a lot about the metrics. If you ran an experiment and it showed a successful result, would your metrics be ones that would actually get attention? Because if you pick these sort of metrics like click-through rates or something, and then you go to show like the CFO, like, hey, I just boosted click-through rates 10%. Like that's not going to get you very far. You know, like it's not going to lead to this ladder up of capabilities and brand. So I would say when you're running experiments, make sure you use business metrics. And then that logically leads you to think about the experiments that will drive those business metrics. Jay, thank you so much for joining us today. This was an awesome conversation. And I know people will benefit a lot from it. Yeah, this has been great, Allison. 